0: very happy one, at least for some of us.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight, I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck
2: in the middle with you.
0: From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. AM 950, KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and... Many, if not most, of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another, if you will, special edition of the Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Happy Arraignment Day. Or perhaps I should say Happy Birthday to our former president, who, as you heard uh, at the top there, right-wing activist Laura Loomer singing off-key for him while wearing a Donald Trump-did-nothing-wrong t-shirt as one of a circus-like smattering of supporters and protesters and observers outside the federal courthouse in Miami on Tuesday as Donald J. Trump actually turns 76 years old on Wednesday. Desi Doyen, I can't think of a better way to celebrate that milestone. Can you? Happy birthday, Donald Trump. Uh, At least for those who believe in, you know, accountability and the rule of law in any case, I can't think of a better way to celebrate for him to be arraigned on 37 new criminal counts in federal court, making him the first president in U.S. history to be charged with any felony crimes. And uh, at the federal level, I'm bringing his total number of criminal felony counts now to... 71, with 34 charged in New York State just over two months ago and another 37 brought by 23 South Florida residents last week in the investigation by Special Counsel Jack Smith, for which the former disgraced president was arraigned at the federal courthouse in Miami on Tuesday. So indeed, happy birthday, Mr. President. May you have many years to life ahead of you. A uh, reportedly glum and seemingly irritated former President Donald Trump became the first former president to face a judge on federal charges as his attorney pleaded not guilty on his behalf in that Miami courtroom on Tuesday to dozens of felony counts that he hoarded classified documents and refused repeated government demands to give them back. The history-making arraignment, as AP reports now, kickstarts a legal process that will unfold at the height of the 2024 presidential campaign and carry profound consequences not only for his political future but more urgently for his own personal liberty as former federal prosecutor dennis aftergut now of counsel to lawyers defending american democracy told salon this week trump is now in quote extreme peril The narrative here is one of betrayal of a nation and its most precious secrets by a man who was the commander-in-chief for four years and who seeks that mantle again. There has never been anything remotely like it, writes Aftergut. The disregard for the lives, the risk, and the individual courage that goes into gathering information vital to our national security and our safety is incomprehensible. He writes, there is no way for the brain to wrap itself around what is described in this indictment. The violation of sacred trust, a one-man demolition crew working against the American intelligence system that has been built brick by brick over 80 years. With the kind of conduct alleged in the indictment, he says, by the former occupant of the highest office in the land, how is any foreign intelligence service supposed to trust us to keep information confidential, to protect its methods of collecting our enemy's secrets or the identity of its sources? It could take years, he says, if not decades, to recover from the damage. This from an email exchange with Salon's executive editor, Andrew O'Hare. Put together three basic pieces, he continues. One, the bone-chilling nature of the materials unlawfully taken from the White House. Two, the apparent exposure of those materials at Mar-a-Lago. And three, what we know from public reporting about security there and our nation's enemies whose agents may have breached it. First, 31 documents have what are called compartmentalized top-secret markings. Compartmentalized, he notes, means information about certain intelligence sources and methods. Top secret signifies information that would cause, if revealed, exceptionally grave harm to the nation's security. Compartmentalized, top secret documents are kept in secure structures or skiffs, the fortified rooms that protect against the electronic surveillance or other efforts by outside parties to obtain the information. Examples on the list of materials that Donald Trump took to Mar-a-Lago include documents, quote, concerning nuclear weaponry of the United States, nuclear capabilities of a foreign country, which could be North Korea or Russia or China or Iran. We just don't know, he says. The materials Trump possessed at his resort home include documents, quote, concerning military attacks by a foreign country, timeline and details of attack on a foreign country and military contingency planning of the United States. These are materials that almost anyone hostile to the interests of the United States would love to get their hands on, he notes, which is why they should never be held at easily penetrated places like Mar-a-Lago. Second, he says, the indictment describes and indeed shows via an abundance of photographs, boxes of documents stacked in exposed locations, a ballroom stage, a bathroom shower, and in one instance, a secret document concerning military capabilities of a foreign country, according to the indictment, that had spilled out of its box and onto the floor in a storage room. Third notes after gut public reporting shows that in March 2019, a Chinese national was arrested at Mar-a-Lago carrying four cell phones and a computer thumb drive with computer malware on it. When detained, she claimed to be there to attend a non-existent event in her hotel room were, quote, nine thumb drives, five SIM cards for cell phones and a device used to detect hidden cameras. In 2021 and 2022, a Ukrainian born woman infiltrated Mar-a-Lago multiple times using the false name Anna de Rothschild. She was even photographed with Trump on the golf course and was reportedly associated with a Russian oligarch who lives in Florida. These incidents are, in all likelihood, the tip of the iceberg, writes Aftergut. Objectively, the Espionage Act charges look virtually open and shut, he argues. 31 counts alleging that Trump willfully retained defense-related materials that he possessed without authorization. But, of course, that's not all, as Aftergut described some of the other charges, including the indictment as well, such as the separate charge of conspiracy to obstruct the grand jury's investigation, where the government has Trump's lawyer, Evan Corcoran's, court-ordered grand jury testimony and notes and allege that after the May 22 grand jury subpoena last year compelling Trump to return all classified documents a full year after he left office... And after the National Archives had repeatedly requested nicely that he do so, Trump was documented as having said to Corcoran, quote, wouldn't it be better if we just told them we didn't have anything here? And then, quote, well, look, isn't it better if there are no documents? That was just two of the incidents that prosecutors allege reveal the former president asking his own attorneys to commit high crimes on his behalf. As to the penalties that this former federal prosecutor uh, believes the current federal prosecutors will seek, quote, the crimes alleged are so serious, so damaging to the security and welfare of the United States, that prosecutors' obligation, should there be convictions, would be to ask for the maximum term of imprisonment available. The culpability of a former commander-in-chief who betrays his nation, they would say, requires nothing less. Of course, the maximum term, should Trump be found guilty on all charges, would be some 420 years for the crimes with which he was charged. Legal analysts say that number would more likely be something like 22 years just for the Espionage Act charges alone. So, Happy 76th birthday and happy second arraignment day and happy overdue accountability day to those of us who have long believed in the rule of law and accountability, even for the most powerful people in these United States. Joining us now to celebrate and or help us make sense of it all on another historic day, of course, Desi Doyen is here as always with her birthday hat on, I should add. (laughs) Hello, Des. Uh, We're also joined for special coverage today by a panel of two friends of this program, of course, as on all special Donald Trump days From the day he came down the golden escalator, we are joined by Heather Digby Parton, long known simply as Digby on her long-running Hullabaloo blog and as a regular award-winning columnist at Salon.com. Welcome back, Heather, and happy Arraignment Day to you.
3: Same to you. Happy Arraignment Day, everyone.
0: (laughs) And uh, we're also happy to be joined by former attorney and Republican, from Florida, who still lives in the uh, GOP enclave of the villages in the Sunshine State. That would be Keith Barber, otherwise known as uh, the longtime, very popular Daily Coast columnist Keith DB. Oh, Keith, welcome back to the broadcast, counselor.
2: thank you, Brad, and I am marking myself as safe from South Florida arraignment.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes after this show, Keith. Stay safe down there. (laughs) Uh, Heather, let me start with you. I I know a lot of our listeners felt uh, that Donald Trump would never be charged with anything, certainly not at the federal level. Uh, As uh, you know, has really been the historic pattern for uh, obviously criminal U.S. presidents over the past 50 years or so. Many Democrats were very critical of Attorney General Merrick Garland. Have those concerns from Democrats been largely wiped away by this indictment Uh, or or will that depend on how Jack Smith comes in on the January 6th case uh, if he decides to bring indictments there?
3: Well, you know, I think this does allay a lot of the concerns that people had, that somehow or another the DOJ was going to be too, and Jack Smith as the special counsel was, you know, going to be too reluctant to get into this mess, which Mm -hmm. of course it is, on both a political and a legal level, um, and maybe figure it wasn't worth it, let the voters decide, you know, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, I do think that the January 6th case is super, super important, and, you know, depending on the evidence that they are turning up with all these, uh, with this long-running grand jury investigation that they have going on, um, I am very hopeful that um, if that evidence is there, Mm. that they, um, you know, do bring the charges on that particular case, Mm -hmm. because that one is... Very, very serious. I mean, that was an attempt to, you know, um, obstruct the peaceful transfer of power. And, you know, you just that that goes way beyond any kind of, you know, even the the severity Mm -hmm. in terms of this national security case in Florida that one goes right, you know, directly to the heart of our democracy. Do, so,
0: do, do you th- know, I
3: don't know if Democrats are upset about it. I, I feel pretty good today myself.
0: Do you think that uh, the charges in that case are more or less likely to come based on what we've uh, learned about Jack Smith through the, uh, doc- uh, through the indictment in the stolen documents case?
3: Uh, he seems to be pretty serious about going after this. And, you know, it all depends. That's a, super, that's a much different case, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a really, really complicated kind of concept uh, it, it, to to get into, you know, whether or not there was some kind of a conspiracy and be able to prove that. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to guess on how difficult that is, but it just seems to me on the face of it that that is a much different kind of case than what we're dealing with in Florida, which looks to be pretty open and shut, if you ask me as a, an avid viewer of Law &
0: Order. Well, you know, I was, I was both <laughs> surprised. And not surprised by the uh, uh, indictment in the stolen documents case. uh, Heather, I knew uh, what he did, but frankly, I was still rather stunned to sort of see it spelled out in such breathtaking detail with 37 counts, you know, as as someone else who I know has been calling for. Accountability. You and I have been talking about it on the radio and on the blogs for you know decades now. Uh, <laughs> you know, calling for accountability for these past presidents. What was your reaction when these charges were unsealed late last week?
3: Yeah, I was pretty. I was. I was pretty stunned as well. I mean, I don't see how anybody could not be stunned by what they saw. I mean, we knew what he'd done. We knew he had the documents. We knew they found them. We knew that he had dragged his feet and. That he was making all kinds of excuses, but the detail in this in this indictment about what the documents were, where they were kept, how he behaved, and of course all this stuff with the attorney-client privilege—you um, know, with, with with what he was trying to, but what he thought he was
1: saying mm-hmm. to
3: his uh, privileged attorney there uh, was was pretty shocking stuff. I mean, I'll be curious to hear from from Keith what mm-hmm. he thinks about that because that seems to be one of the. The big issues in the case that will probably come up, they're, uh, the, they're already signaling that that's going to be one of the big bases for, you know, or the big basis of, of their defense to try and disqualify, uh, at the very least, um, you know, some of the attorneys. Uh, for you know some kind of misconduct, and also to challenge these rulings um, on the attorney-client privilege well, being breached. So well, that shocked me, and I'm sure it
1: shocked an awful lot of other people.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about some of the uh, some of Donald Trump's attorney problems, uh, Keith Barber. One of the uh, biggest problems, and I'm going to actually put that word in, in in air quotes for a moment. One of the biggest problems that Trump seems to be having is even finding an attorney, much less a team of attorneys, to defend against. You know, the very serious charges in this uh, in the stolen documents case that after he fired two of his own attorneys the day after he was indicted last week on uh, on the heels of firing yet another one, Tim Parlator, a week or so earlier, and uh, another one of his attorneys, Evan Corcoran, is likely to be a star witness against him in this case after documents show that Trump had actually asked Corcoran to commit crimes on his behalf you know, by making documents disappear. But uh, but Keith, is that a problem actually for Trump or is it a benefit? In other words, will his difficulties in finding an attorney, uh, you know, willing to represent him and able to represent him because they have to be read in on top secret uh, documents? Will that actually help delay his case in Florida? And isn't that what he's after anyway?
2: Yeah, it certainly could. I think that Trump's attorneys, uh, the new attorneys, Mm -hmm. of course, the players to be designated, Um, will certainly seek to exclude the testimony and the documents, for example, that were used in the indictment for Evan Corcoran. Uh, And you already have a judicial determination that those documents, um, you know, uh, were not protected by attorney-client privilege because of the crime fraud exception. Mm -hmm. But that's likely to get, you know, a second review, uh, for trial, and it'll be, you know, under Judge Luce Cannon, uh, <laughs> who's known to be much more sympathetic, uh, to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we'll, you know, it, but it'll be one of the things that will delay things mm-hmm. in this process. Motion and liminees, as they're called to exclude evidence, are common. They're common in criminal trials, but I, I think, uh, Trump's attorneys will just throw everything at this. They're going to argue that the search warrant was illegal, too, and it was overbroad, and so the evidence sees in the search warrant can't be used either. Uh, None of those should succeed, mind you, but it's going to be a way to stall things, and if Judge Cannon issues as rogue a decision as she's already done uh, in this case involves Trump, then the government will be compelled to appeal... Uh, and that will take more time, too.
0: And it, it, does uh, Trump actually have the right to argue or try to argue that, uh, hey, I'm having trouble finding an attorney. I got to get a very specialized attorney who's been, you know, read in uh, and get, with security clearances to even look at these documents in question. Is that an argument that that? He can make and play out over time, and would a normal judge who wasn't Eileen Cannon, you know, say, "Well, if you're having trouble, uh, Mr. Trump, we can appoint a, a you know a, a public attorney, public defender for you."
2: Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. There isn't going to be a public defender with security clearance, but uh, the court could appoint a judge, or excuse me, appoint an attorney. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that's going to happen either. I think that the judge will be tolerant. To some degrees, and I think that that's something that Judge Cannon can probably get away with, uh, is being tolerant of that sort of argument. Of look, I'm having a hard time finding counsel that can look at all of this incredibly sensitive stuff. And mm-hmm. You talked about it; it's it's unreal. Mm. Uh, it's stuff so classified that the its classifications were redacted from the indictment. Mm-hmm. It's that classified,
0: right? So, uh, in, in general, I know you wrote about this at Medium and, and at Daily Kos, um, describing the indictment as "quote amazing" with "quote evidence and charges so sprawling and impacting I barely know where to start." Uh, tell me quickly about your you know your your initial general reaction as an attorney well, to these indictment. You know, uh, my initial indictment. general
2: reaction was oh, I'm going to write an article about this, and as I started <laughs> reviewing it. Uh, I realized uh, that while, you know, only 48 or so pages long, uh, that it would be hard to summarize, because, man, there's not a wasted word in that indictment.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, you can't skip over stuff or, <laughs> or anything like that. Uh-huh. You know, it's hard to wrap it up. Uh You know, everything in it is gold. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, of how impactful it is from the pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, you know, the, the description of the nature of the classified documents involved to these conversations that Trump had with his attorneys, which, you know, I, I, I gotta wonder about that. If I'm having an, a conversation with a client that goes like some of those is, uh, at some point I have to say, well, you know, time out. We can't be talking like this.
0: Right. Yeah, and I, I, when when he's clearly asking him to commit crimes, what would be the proper way? What would have been, I guess, the proper way for Evan Corcoran when he was uh, clearly being asked to do things he shouldn't have been asked? Um, how should he have responded at that point? Or you
2: know, I, I mean, wouldn't it be better if we just told them that if we if we don't have anything here, uh, as you pointed out, was one of the questions, and then mm-hmm. the next one mentioned was well. Look, isn't it better if there are no documents? Mm -hmm. You just have to stop the conversation then, sir. You know, you're asking me to be involved in this crime, and that does two things. It creates a potential conspiracy. Uh, And another thing it does is it has the potential to, as it eventually did, break our attorney-client privilege. Mm -hmm. And you, you have to tell the client that. You know, we, the answer to your questions are no, <laughs> we, and the only correct answer is we have to respond to complete subpoena completely. And apparently, Corker did, did get around to saying that, but Trump nonetheless worked around him to, to hide the documents. But you, I mean, you have to when a client starts discussing illegal conduct with you, the conversation needs to end before before he finishes the sentence. Mm. And, and 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 the client has to be advised look we can't be having a discussion like this
0: and somehow Evan corcoran is still currently anyway uh not only going to be a star witness in this case uh, on this trajectory we're on but he's also still serving as his actual lawyer as i understand it on i think the uh is it the new york case or the january 6th case i don't yeah, know. i
2: don't i don't see how that can
0: Wow. I don't either. Uh, <laughs> Heather, the, the The question that still seems to have no definitive answer. So let me put it to you. Why <laughs> Why did Trump do it? He was given opportunity after opportunity to simply return the documents for like a year and a half. The National Archives was begging him to just, sir, please give us back the documents. He would have been completely off the hook. Nobody would have ever known about it. Why didn't he do it? Is, is it that as many are saying, oh, he thought these documents were his or is there something more nefarious at work here? Like, you know, he had already maybe given some away or sold them or, or couldn't give them back. Do, are we any closer to having an answer to that question?
3: I, I don't think we're any closer to having that answer. It goes back to the, at the very beginning of Donald Trump's term. We have spent hours just on this show alone, just yes. trying to to figure out what motivates him to do the things that he does. For instance, his his you know incredible affinity for dictators, particularly Vladimir Putin. I mean, what was that about? And we talked forever about did there were their financial interests. Did they have something on him? Was it ego? Was it that he was being flattered? You know what what makes him tick? What makes mm-hmm. him do what he does? And I don't think. I don't think we we know in this case, although maybe we'll find out if there's more evidence. A lot of the attorneys on TV, anyway, are saying, you know, look, not everything is in this indictment. There's other evidence out there, so maybe we'll find something about motive. I'm sure they'd love to have one if they are presenting this case. But one of the things we do know, you know, setting aside all the psychological stuff, which we can go on about for for days about, you know, how he's a narcissist and he's, you know, got all kinds of weird psychological problems, and we know mm-hmm. that, as, which explains, you know, maybe why he would keep them, and they're mine, and, you know, this is, you don't have a right to look at my stuff. It doesn't explain for some, a
0: year and a half. That is I know, actually, and know. there
3: are some other other possibilities here. For oh, instance, oh, uh, uh, there's a whole lot of money that's flowing back and forth between, oh, I don't know, the Saudi Arabian government and Jared mm-hmm. Kushner, his son-in-law. He's got a disinterest in this golf club. He was also, and this is one that I really think that people should think about, he was running for president from the moment he left the White House Mm. on January 20th, Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: 2021. Mm -hmm.
3: He always knew he was going to be running, and he had in his possession information that would be useful. We know that he would be more than willing to use it to help him get elected. He did it... (laughs) He got impeached for doing that. Mm -hmm. He got impeached for saying to the Ukrainian president, you know, I'd like you to do me a favor, Mm -hmm. though. He said, I'd like you to do me a favor, though. So he had all these documents saying God knows what. I mean, we don't know what the specifics are in them. They're very valuable and could be very useful to him in trying to leverage some, a little help from his friends.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the i got to say, over the last uh, few days, the, the words, again, are sort of ringing in my brain. I remember Adam Schiff uh, wrapping up the first yep. impeachment uh, trial, saying, you know, if, if he, d- he did it before, if he's not held accountable, he will do it again. And hey, he has done it again in spades, Keith.
2: Hey, Brad, let me take a stab at the motive thing. Because okay. I think, for starters, you know, how many crimes have you heard of? Where, you know, somebody does something completely just doesn't make sense at all, and you're like, what were they thinking? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a tendency to want to rationalize what was simply irrational. And if you're looking for a rational explanation of what Trump did, there just may not be one. Mm. It's just irrational, mm. and you can't get a rational answer. But look at what he did with one of the documents. And it kind of goes to what Heather was talking about. He took this document that involved, you know, the war plan from General Milley Mm -hmm. about invading Iran, and he showed it to this writer in order to show that Milley was wrong about Trump. Milley said that Trump wanted to go to war against Iran, and Trump thinks this document shows that it wasn't Trump that wanted to do that, but that it was Milley that wanted to do that. Right. And I don't think that the document really does that. But that's what's in Trump's head is hey, I can use this yeah. to get back at people who said bad things mm. about me, like General Milley in this case. And, well, and that's how he used <clears throat> that document, a very sensitive document, in front of a writer
0: Yeah, which which makes sense uh, again for the first few months but uh, you know well uh, and i guess that was like july of 2022 so uh, uh no yeah uh, uh, july 2022 so that was already a year and a half or so i think after uh unless it was july 21 i can't remember but it makes sense initially the thinking but you know once a year goes by they're asking you to give it back once a uh, 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 uh your your uh, subpoena from the department of justice comes in and you're still refusing it at that point i got to wonder what could possibly be on his brain well uh,
2: and you're right it was july 2021
0: yeah so which
2: is in to, the, the middle the of the negotiations oh, almost, that's a oh, oh, whole year later yeah. and if he had turned over these documents and that document at that time We would not be here now. Correct.
4: We wouldn't know about any of this stuff. We wouldn't know about the boxes stored in a public bathroom or on a ballroom stage where thousands of people went by. We'd know none of this. Um, I think that, to your point, Brad, though, I think that it could Mm -hmm. be all of the above. You know, he could use them for revenge and retaliation against his perceived enemies. He could use it because it offers him an opportunity to make some money and gain some power and gain some leverage by, uh, as, as Heather mentioned, going to his foreign friends for a little help. When he needs it. And also, I would like to add don't forget about Jared Kushner. Because everyone remembers that a few months after leaving the White House, he received $2 billion from Saudi Arabia, and the timing was just so convenient with the uh, Saudi Arabia Golf Tournament, the Live Golf Tournament at the Bedminster Trump Golf Resort, and such, all of these things moving together at the same time. I just they, I, I think it could be
0: all of the above. You're such a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Not that the guy has now been charged with conspiracy. <laughs> but uh, in any event, uh, quick, I, I need to get to a break, but I want to sort of get to... Uh, two points here before we do uh, Keith Barber If you were Trump's attorney right now Since you are, as I understand it a, An available attorney in Florida <laughs> And a long time I, Re- I am
2: not licensed And, never was uh, licensed
4: aw, too bad.
2: and
0: a long time Republican That's okay, they're, they're taking people Who aren't licensed in Florida Don't worry about it If you were his attorney right now What would you recommend to him As your client right about now
2: well, if his name wasn't Trump, I'd be trying to convince him to accept the plea deal,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, because this, this is such a slam dunk. Now, there's a lot of complications with that, because his name is Trump. Mm-hmm. To include that, Trump thinks that if he gets elected, or for that matter, if any Republican gets elected in 2024, that he'll be pardoned for this.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but but I mean, but not for the state charges. And so not, I, you know I Well not... but
2: he'll he'll be he'll be given a pardon for this case because these are federal charges. Right. That's what Trump believes that. Well uh, and he believes that he can pardon himself and whether he can or not is something that's a, kind of a wide open question there and I don't know. But I, yeah, but there'd be no doubt that if another Republican, you know, became president in twenty twenty four that that president can pardon Trump. I, so I think that I think that a lot of the calculus involved in this is to try and and drag this out until after the election, you know. And mm-hmm. maybe if I was Trump's attorney, that would be my strategy, drag this mm-hmm. out until after the election, hope that a Republican wins and then get a pardon. So-
0: I, you know i'm not an attorney but i would tell him to beg for a plea deal to avoid jail time uh promise to never run for public office again which is probably the only way that he could uh, you know ever get such a deal it seems to me maybe takes him home confinement pay a large fine but he he can't really do that at least for the moment because there, it's not just this one case. There are all of these other cases in which he also faces uh, jail time. Heather, is there is there any chance that Trump tries to cop a plea deal And and, by the way, that the DOJ would accept such a deal?
3: Well, I think the DOJ would probably accept a deal, depending on the terms, of course, you know, obviously. But there's not a chance in a million years that he will he will take a plea deal. He is not going to do that. I think that's completely off the table. It will not happen in any of these cases. I mean, I suppose it's theoretically possible that he could he could cop maybe to the Manhattan case
1: uh-huh. and
3: say, yeah, you know, and just sort of he could get off with sort of, you know, halfway saying, yeah, I did it, but, you know, it, I was just trying to save my marriage or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, takes a takes a... a on that one. But I, I can't imagine him doing it on any of the election stuff or this national security stuff, because that is just that is central to his psyche at this point. It's a, his entire world is organized around this and i don 't think he, i don 't think he would do
1: it i really
0: don 't Heather before we get to a break here, so uh, sorry to ask you a big question with a little time to answer it, but we we opened the uh, the phones up on the show uh, yesterday to listeners uh, and and the the only defense if you can even call it that from Trump supporters was that other people, like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, did the exact same thing that Trump did, but they weren't charged. Now, when Joe Biden's attorneys discovered that he had some old classified documents, they immediately invited the DOJ to come in, do a search, take them all away. So it is not a similar case. But you wrote about the comparison to Hillary Clinton's case at Salon yesterday. Can you quickly sort of rebut the case that... You know, Hillary did it too, and uh, even as Senator Ron Johnson uh, of, of Wisconsin actually acclaimed on Fox News on Sunday, Trump chose not to prosecute Hillary Clinton for it, and <laughs> and and Joe Biden should have done the same thing. That's yeah. what he said. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I can do that, and I think I can do it fairly quickly. Although I could uh-huh. go into it in depth, but I won't. Uh, there were five. You might investigations. have to. This is going to go on
0: for a while. But anyway, go <laughs> yeah. ahead.
3: It'll it'll happen. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be required again. Yeah. But yeah, there were five investigations into the Clinton email server thing, and uh, I'm not counting the Benghazi stuff, which was also part of the email server. Mm-hmm. There was a the FBI original FBI investigation. There was an inspector general, a DOJ inspector general's investigation. There were two State Department investigations. And Bill Barr himself, under pressure from Donald Trump and his little boy toy, Matt Whitaker at the time, Um, actually, Bill Barr named uh, a, 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 a U.S. attorney mm-hmm. in Utah to also look into all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They all concluded the same thing. Hillary Clinton didn't break any laws with this. I mean, everybody acknowledges that she shouldn't have had the server, but there were no laws broken here. And neither didn't. And that's, I'm not even talking about the obstruction part, which of course she did not do. She cooperated with the government, of course. Um, But also the actual substance of the charge, the classified documents in question had not been labeled classified at the time they flowed through the email server, Mm -hmm. and there were no markings on them, and they were, you know, sort of minor low-level kind of, you know, which were later classified after the fact. So the facts of the case don't match at all on the Clinton thing, absolutely don't match at all. The second thing is, is that, you know, if you look at Joe Biden, I'll just take a minute to talk about him, um, there's there's no... uh, question that number one, he is the president as we speak, so he has he could go and declassify them all in his mind
1: mm-hmm. right now <laughs> right.
3: if that's what, if that's what he wanted to do right. and he could do it. But he, you know, none of the there is no question that he took them willfully, nor that he, you know, and certainly that he didn't keep them, mm-hmm. which is one of the big, big charges in the Trump case. So all of this is nonsense. It's whataboutism. It's of course what they would do. Um, You know, and there are a million cases of poor schmucks that worked in the government that, you know, did much less than anything that Trump did. Much, much, you know, lesser kinds of offenses that they did that actually went to jail. So this is all nonsense.
0: And I uh, keep every time this comes up, I keep thinking of reality winner who tried to warn about what Russia, their interference in the 2016 election. One single document was sentenced to five years and three months for one document. This guy stole hundreds, if not thousands. All right, we got to take a quick break here. It is uh, our arraignment day special coverage. Uh, I guess the second arraignment day special coverage uh, with Heather Digby, Pardon, and Keith Barber, and we uh, Desi Doyen will be with us for a Green News Report as well a little yes. bit later on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
4: The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
5: Ah. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang,
4: that's the sound of the men working on the chain.
0: Gang, all day long they say uh, A boy can dream, can't he? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Special coverage of Donald Trump's second uh, felony arraignment, his first federal felony arraignment on 37 counts in Miami, at the courthouse on Tuesday, speaking with uh, our special guest, Heather Digby Parton and uh, of, of uh, Salon and Halleblue, and attorney, former attorney, now in Florida, Keith Barber of uh, Daily Coast. Uh, Keith, you made a point over the uh, over the break there in in response to the the, the point that oh, both
4: sides uh, is about uh, Biden and, and
0: yeah, folks claiming that oh, Joe Biden uh, did the same thing that Donald Trump did and. He didn't get arrested, unlike Trump You had a, a good point on that
2: And of course they say so they should be treated the same mm-hmm. And I say, fine, let's treat them the same uh, Donald Trump was not charged For anything related to any of the documents That he voluntarily returned
1: mm-hmm. So if you're
2: going to treat them similarly Then Biden should not be charged For any documents that he voluntarily returned It's mm. simple And that's, you know, that's what's going to happen
0: good uh, excellent uh, point uh, G- Keith let me ask you uh, we, we, we talked a little bit er- earlier about uh, Eileen Cannon the Trump appointed U.S. District Court judge who's currently set to oversee this case. There's been a lot of back and forth on this one. Uh, she, she had her, her, her last brush with this case, of course, completely tossed out by the very conservative 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. It included two Trump-appointed judges who basically found that she actually interfered with the case in her orders barring the FBI from continuing their investigation until a special master reviewed the the seized documents. But it's unclear to me, and I don't know if it's any clearer to you. Will she remain on this case? Uh, and and uh, you, you've already suggested she will be a problem for the prosecution, if so. But can you know this? The the uh, this circuit is supposed to be you know a so-called rocket docket that moves very quickly in the Southern District of Florida. So will she remain on the case? And will she be able to hold it up, even though it's a supposed rocket docket down there?
2: That's a really good question, and, you know, the 11th Circuit, with those two Trump-appointed judges, uh, used the phrase, in regards to her, Mm -hmm. abuse of discretion. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty strong phrase coming from judges that should be friendly to you, and Mm -hmm. they were not. Uh, Even so, uh, you know, we've we've now got a case where a judge is hearing the matter, where it's been documented judicially that she has already abused her discretion. Previously, in this case, is that enough to get her involuntarily recused? I mean, in my view, she should voluntarily recuse, but I don't believe she will. Mm. Uh, the standard for a compelled recusal is very high. I don't think it is met yet, and there's a, it's certainly not frivolous for the Department of Justice to ask for it. Uh-huh. Uh but and it might be a little bit of a close call, but I don't think it's there yet. It usually requires repeated instances of demonstration of such favoritism or bias. Uh and we only you know, we have a sample size of one. And so Canon gets to argue a single data point does not a trend establish. And on the other hand, if other data points get added by decisions she makes in this case Certainly, what she has already done may put her on a short leash.
0: Heather, I, you know, based on what we know about this woman, based on her decisions in the uh, earlier part of this uh, last, late last year, I, I, if, I mean, if I were her, I, you know, she took such a beating from the appellate court, from as Keith says, you know, judges that should have been on her side in this. She has the ability, I think, to voluntarily recuse as uh, as Keith suggests uh, Is there any chance she would do that wouldn't i I think I would rather than you know sit at the center of the the you know the, the biggest the most explosive case ever after so royally screwing it up just months ago
3: Well, it would depend on whether or not she identifies you know within her own mind as, you know, a serious jurist, someone who, you know, sees a full career ahead of her as mm-hmm. a as a judge and wants to be taken seriously, maybe be promoted, you know, up higher, or whether or not she identifies as as a you know, a MAGA kind of you know, um, you know, Trump person. Mm-hmm. Um and her her rulings in the early case, you know, could very easily indicate that she's the latter that she is someone who actually sees herself more as, you know, an a, an activist uh than an actual, you know, than actual jurist. So, I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it's theoretically possible, but you know, when you consider, I mean, there are people like, you know, like the judge down in Texas who did the abortion um yeah. ruling recently. Yeah. You know, there there are a lot of people like that in the, in the judicial system now, and she is a Trump appointee. Um, so it's entirely possible that she sees this as an opportunity to do, you know, God's work as mm. an activist judge, you know, standing up for, you know, Donald Trump's right to be president, I guess, mm. um, you know, or, or, you know, right and, to get away with murder. I mean, that does seem to be something that, I mean, look at some of these these. You know, politicians I mean, they're not all just cowards Who are afraid to say the truth There are a lot of them Who actually believe this stuff That they're saying and So, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be I, I, w- I don't think there's cause for optimism on this I mean, maybe mm. we should wait And see what happens But I doubt very Yeah, I am not ready to take What some of these people You know, on television Are going, well, it's the law It's the majesty of the judicial system And, you know, they'll, she'll be serious And she, the jury will be serious And blah, blah, blah and, You know, I, I hope so but I wouldn't bank on it at this point. Not after what she, we've already seen her do.
0: Very quickly, guys. Uh, uh, let me start. Keith, uh, d- do we know can a former president actually? Well, I think they can be sentenced to jail. But aren't there problems with uh, a, a, a president, a former president, actually serving time in prison with you know a lifetime Secret Service detail, et cetera?
2: Yeah, that's that. That and that hits it right there. The, the guy is entitled by law. The Secret Service protection for life, so you know you can't jail his Secret Service agents. I, uh, you know, I kind of feel like we're just going to have to cross that bridge when we get to it. I I don't know what the answer is <laughs> to that. I certainly think that he deserves jail, and if we're we're going to be a nation driven by the rule of law, uh, that that he should be jailed. Um, yeah. I I would like to see. How that um uh, gets done, or constructive answers as to how it could be done, you know maybe one answer is you change the law Do well uh to. Uh, address this particular
0: situation. We may, we may well see how it is done in the in the months ahead. Let me go quickly around the table for sort of a one word uh, unfair question for uh, each of you guys. Which indictment comes next, Jack Smith's January six conspiracy case, or Fulton County District Attorney's Bonnie uh, Willis's election theft conspiracy case in Georgia? Keith, which one comes next?
2: Well, it's interesting because January 6th has the potential to involve other, other defendants and maybe not even indict Trump. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, you can have guys like Eastman and Giuliani and so forth indicted in that investigation, and, and Smith may just give Trump
0: a pass. Don't know. D- uh, uh-huh. That's we, more than worth. I more. think
2: Willis is next.
0: You think Willis is next. Okay. Heather, you, Heather, you want to ring in real quick?
3: I'd guess that too, because we know that she's coming in August, um, and I don't know that the January 6th case is that far along.
2: Okay, I'll and, just. And, oh. and Brad, yeah. watch for the possibility that all of these other cases get put in hold, uh, mm. uh, pause button, uh, while the federal case plays out.
4: Hope Tish that's James not actually the case. said that today, by the way, Who? that ah, it might happen. Tish James, ah, okay. New York Attorney General. Des, you got a thought uh, on it before we get My out? prediction, since everybody else is going with Willis, I'll go ahead and go with Jack Smith and the J6. And I just want to point out also I find it obscene that Republican politicians are still supporting Trump, and I think we need to talk about that at some oh, point.
0: Oh, I'm sure we'll have time for that as well, <laughs> as we will uh, to talk to both of these guys in the days ahead. By the way, breaking news, a judge will let E. Jean Carroll amend her defamation lawsuit to seek more damages against Trump for the comments he made at a CNN town hall about her the day after he was fined some $5 million for uh, sexual abuse and defamation against her. He never learned to shut his pie hole. The fun continues. (laughs) Uh, That was uh, Heather Digby Parton's pie hole. You can find her (laughs) at Salon.com and dot net. also on the Twitters at Digby56. And Keith Barber can be found over at Daily Coast dot com he writes as keith db over there and you can find him on the twitter he's got a great twitter feed at keith db eight zero thanks guys really appreciate uh, both of you joining us today thanks brad. have a good one brad. thanks guys all right we got to take a quick break and we are back we're not done we still have desi doyan and her latest yes! green news report that's straight ahead on the bradcast i'm brad friedman Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Okay. Neither uh, rain, nor heat, nor sleet, nor snow, <laughs> nor Trump indictment special coverage will uh, keep Desi from her appointed True. rounds on our latest Green News report.
2: With regards to the complete rebuild of I-95 roadway. We expect that to take some number of months.
4: Gas tanker fire leads to collapse of major freeway overpass.
2: There are likely farms in every state that are knowingly or or unknowingly dealing with these chemicals
4: three manufacturers agree to billion dollar settlement as states sue over pfas chemicals in drinking water plus
0: the researchers say the latest event is gaining strength and could lead to record-breaking temperatures next year
4: buckle up el nino is here to intensify extreme weather around the world
0: oh great All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment Uh, there's little question that canada needs to obviously focus on 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 forest management uh, but but this isn't that the 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 moment to start lecturing
4: people uh, about about the science of uh, climate change right now it's about putting out a fire and keeping
0: people safe the moment when new york congressman mark molinaro figured out how to recycle gun safety denialism for climate change this is your green news report All right, Desi Doyen, as fires continue to rage in Canada, you've got great news about El Nino.
4: Yes, unfortunately El Nino has officially arrived. The naturally occurring periodic warm pattern in the Pacific Ocean that gooses global temperatures is expected to strengthen over the winter, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Forecasters warn that this El Nino occurs on top of record warm ocean temperatures which will combine to intensify extreme weather around the world. Storms, droughts, deadly heat waves, you name it, that are already worsening from human-caused climate change.
0: I'd rather not name it. The last year or so, we had some record heat, even though there was a La Niña, which is supposed to cool things, right? Uh Uh-huh. And now we're going to have an El Niño.
4: Making it even hotter. Yes.
0: Fantastic.
4: And it's likely that 2023 and 2024 will set new records for all-time hottest years globally. A new study calculates that El Nino impacts are actually far costlier than experts had thought, averaging trillions of dollars in long-term damage, forcing communities to divert resources to fund recovery and rebuilding.
0: Well, maybe this isn't the time to lecture people on climate change, Des.
4: Noah also announced that levels of heat-trapping carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere increased to a new record high in May, jumping at one of the fastest rates ever recorded, hitting 423 parts per million at Hawaii's Mauna Loa Observatory, quote, continuing a steady climb further into territory not seen in millions of years.
0: And we were worried that it would ever reach 400? Yeah.
4: In Philadelphia, an elevated section of Interstate 95, one of the region's busiest highways, collapsed early Sunday morning after a truck hauling gasoline overturned and ignited underneath it. The truck driver was killed. The National Transportation and Safety Board is on scene investigating. Pennsylvania's Governor Josh Shapiro issued a disaster declaration speeding up federal funding for repairs. He warned reconstruction of the highway is expected to disrupt transportation for months. And I'll just note here that the adoption of electric vehicles will help take explosive trucks off the U.S. highways. Mm. In accountability news, three manufacturers of toxic PFAS Forever Chemicals have agreed to pay more than $1 billion to settle the first wave of lawsuits alleging the chemical companies contaminated drinking water across the country.
0: That's good. But not enough.
4: The settlement came after multiple investigative reports revealed secret industry documents showing exactly how manufacturers DuPont and 3M knew decades ago that their PFAS Forever chemicals were a danger to human health, but publicly insisted the chemicals were safe and purposely distorted public knowledge about PFAS in their products. A new study from UC San Francisco Details how quote The chemical industry used the tactics Of the tobacco industry To delay public awareness of the toxicity Of PFAS and in turn Delayed regulations governing their use
0: Well we gotta have our Teflon pans
4: Over the last two weeks More than two dozen states have filed Suit against PFAS manufacturers To pay for the mounting costs of cleanup of the chemicals which are now Ubiquitous in the population and Environment. Here's Maine's Attorney General Aaron Fry on CNBC. 3M in DuPont created these chemicals, had the science that showed just how dangerous they were, how toxic they were, how they were going to last forever. It is my responsibility to do whatever I can to hold accountable those companies that profited
0: off of this chemical. Good. Yeah. Go get them.
4: And finally, some good news in Minnesota. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has revoked a crucial permit for a controversial proposed copper and nickel mine in the northeastern part of the state, concluding the permit did not comply with water quality standards set by a sovereign downstream
0: tribe. A lot of good news coming out of Minnesota these days. Wait a minute. Isn't 3M based in Minnesota? Yes. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.
4: But forever, so they say. So they say.
0: So they say.
4: Unless it's PFAS chemicals, so and then they, they do.
0: Thank you very much, our producer, Desi Doy, and my thanks to our guests today, Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo, and Keith Barber of Daily Coast, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. That was kind of fun. It was kind of fun.
4: Kind of yeah. fun. I, very serious stuff, but still kind of fun to talk about. It always them.
0: greatly appreciated to have <laughs> you here. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's special coverage or any other program we've ever done, you can always download all of them for free at bradblog.com. Dot com no paywall. That is made possible by those of you who have been kind enough to stop by BradBlog.com/slash/donate to subscribe to our uh, to our program and our blog for any amount you like. All of it is greatly appreciated and. As ever, much needed, especially now. bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, you will find me at the BradBlog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.
5: I'm Rick Smith. And this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1926. That was the day union leader Tony Mizaki was born. He's remembered as a longtime leader and international official with the Oil, Chemical, and Atomic Workers Union. Mizaki was a prime force behind the passage of the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970. He was also centrally involved in the grievances Karen Silkwood brought against the Kerr McGee Company. During the 1990s, he worked tirelessly to establish a Labor Party as an independent political force that could truly represent working people. Mizaki was born in Brooklyn, New York to a union family. After fighting in World War II, he hired on at a cosmetics factory organized by the Gas Workers Union. He quickly emerged as a leader, fought for the rights of women workers, and soon became the president of his local. He would go on to aid in the merging of his union with the Oil Workers International that created OCAW. Within 10 years, he had become the international's Citizenship Legislative Director. Many have noted that Mizaki was one of the first labor leaders to build ties with the environmental movement. He linked the hazards in the workplace with hazards in the environment. He showed how workers and the public shared similar concerns about health and safety. He pioneered the Blue-Green Alliance that continues to advocate for green blue-collar jobs, build union reading clubs, and pushed his members toward social justice unionism. Mizaki was a coalition builder and worked with allies for clean water and air, single-payer health care, free education, and just trade policies. The United Steelworkers named their health, safety, and the environment center in his honor. He died in 2002 of pancreatic cancer. He was 76 years old. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two.